Well, we All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Well, we are going to close out this series on prayer, 29 days of prayer. Uh, I want to summarize these past few weeks all in one message. I want us to take a look at kind of the specific points that we've been talking about and then summarize them. And then this morning we uh, are going to practice them uh, and be a little bit more participatory today. If that scares you, it's fine everybody's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. Uh, I think that there's so much of uh, church today that is um, come and listen, come sit, stand, listen, receive, and, and rarely do we get to actually put into practice the things that we're learning. And so we're going to uh, do that. Uh, we're going to share a personal uh, story this morning that is uh, dear to my family's heart and uh, and then we're just going to give thanks and gratefulness to God for what he's uh, doing, what he's done, and what he's doing, and what he's going to do in our lives. I want to start with James chapter 5, verse 16. I used this passage last week. Confess your trespasses to one another. I don't think we do that very well, if I'm being honest. We don't really take a lot of time to sit with people and say, I need you to know what's going on in my life. I need you to know that uh, this is an area of weakness in my life where I've, uh, I've been sinning against God, and I need someone to come alongside me. We, we, we live our lives somewhat in silos and isolation where, uh, where if we are not intentional, we miss out on the opportunity to be able to share our trespasses with one another. But it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Well, it's impossible to pray for one another if you're never with one another. If we don't have community, if we don't have relationship with one another, it's really difficult to pray for one another. It says that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about the ingredients of what it is to have an effective prayer. Effective means that it works. I want things in my life to work. I don't enjoy when things don't work. When I get into my car and I turn the key... I want it to work. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've gotten into your car and you've turned the key and it doesn't work, it's really frustrating, it's really annoying, and to be honest, it's, it, it ruins your day. The hope is that it's just the battery that's gone out and that's the easiest fix, but oftentimes it's something more than that. When, when your refrigerator goes out, all of a sudden you had no warning and it's just gone, 
and you're spoiling all of the food in the fridge, it's awful. You want it to work. You want things in your life to work. And yet, oftentimes, when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to contending for things in our life, we go into it at times not believing that it's going to work, but that maybe God doesn't have the time to answer our prayers. Sometimes I pray and I struggle to believe that God will answer it. I'm okay if he kind of under-answers it because there's probably no way that he's going to over-answer it. And yet I believe that we serve a God who wants to over-answer your prayers. Acts chapter 12 is a story uh, in, in the New Testament that is just this amazing story of a church that prays. And I thought, what a great way to end our time because, uh, or end our time in this series, is looking at what would happen if we actually, as a church, collectively prayed diligently. It starts in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. The church is being persecuted at this point because it's growing in numbers and, and so the, the establishment's trying to shut down the church. And so they're, they're intending to persecute them. They're intending to arrest the leaders of the church and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And we saw that this met with approval among the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. He believed that if he could shut Peter down, then he could shut the church down. It was Jesus who said, upon this rock I will build my church. And that rock being Peter, if he could get Peter out of the way, then there's no way that, the, that God could build his church. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread, and after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, about 16. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, and so Peter was kept in prison. But look at this next line. In fact, if you're following along, uh, not on the screen, but in your digital device or in an actual paper Bible, Underline this, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. He's already been arrested, he's already imprisoned, and yet their spirits have not been so diminished that they actually believe that they could pray, even though he's guarded by 16 men, that there could be a good outcome of this situation. They earnestly prayed to God for him. And that word earnestly is the same Greek usage from James chapter 5 where it says the fervent prayer of a righteous man. That earnest, fervent prayer. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. How uncomfortable would that be? And he's bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Listen, the lights come on and Peter's still fast asleep. And maybe he was a little, a little more comfortable than I would like to think, but he was sitting there and he's sleeping and he's at peace about the situation. The lights come on through the form of an angel and the angel's like, hey, get up. He has to wake him up. He says, put your clothes on and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. 
Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. Uh, that the, what the angel was doing was really happening, meaning he, this, all of this was taking a place, and he, he thought he was in a dream. He had no idea. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter came to himself and said, Now I have no doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. That's the power of an effective, fervent prayer. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocks on the outer entrance. They had two entrances to the house. He knocks on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed to see Peter. So overjoyed that she didn't even open the door for him. She's like, you're out of prison. You just stay right there. I'm going to go get the others. I don't know if she thought it was a trick, a trap, but she, she runs back and says to the others, she says, Peter is at the door. And one of the most biblical things that we could ever read takes place next. <laughs> they look at Rhoda and they're like, oh, Rhoda, you're so cute, but you're out of your mind. Surely it is not Peter, it's probably his angel that's at the door coming to tell us that his time is done. It, that's not what it says, but I imagine that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. But when she kept insisting that it was so, never mind Peter standing out at the door. He's like, let's go, people. They're probably looking for me about now. She, it must be his angel Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were shocked that Peter had been rescued, which gives me a lot of comfort. This gives me comfort that a group of people were praying that somehow God would intervene on Peter's behalf, and when God did intervene, they were shocked that he did. How many of us go into prayer asking God to move and work in our life, and yet when he actually moves and works in our life, we're shocked. We're astonished. We're like, oh, he does listen. He does hear our prayers. Peter motioned with his hand because they're freaking out. They're like, he's, he's free. He's free. And he's like, hey, let's keep it down. There's people looking for me. Let's, uh, let's just go into the house. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place, <laughs> probably because he had just escaped prison. In the morning, there was no small commotion. I love uh, the understatement of that statement. There was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. I don't know if they were awakened, the two people, they, but he's gone. And there were all of these people guarding him. I read that story because I want to learn how to pray fervent and effective prayers. I want to I pray prayers where, where chains 
fall in people's lives. I want to pray prayers where freedom can happen in someone's life. We sing songs like break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. We sing it over and over and over again. But do we believe that we could actually pray a prayer that would break every chain? I want to pray prayers where God does healing and miracles. I want to pray prayers where people's lives and eternities are changed. But here's the reality is sometimes you have to pray through things. See, the interesting thing was even after Peter was was imprisoned, and it's like, well, I guess this is over, they continued to pray. They continued to pray, they continued to pray, they continued to pray. There were results that took place inside of them in the midst of this answered prayer, but there was also results that took place through them. And I want us to just look at a few of the ingredients that I believe over the course of the last four weeks we've talked about, but really are, the, are integral to us having effective prayers. Number one, where there is pressure, prompting, or pain. This is one of those points that you don't really put up on your refrigerator as a point of encouragement in your life. And yet we read Psalm 18.6 where David is crying out to the Lord. He says, "In in my distress, I call to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Aren't you glad that we have a God who has ears to hear our prayers? I wonder, for some of us, we fill out the cards and, and we have these Deep pains and pressures in our life. We have chaos that's going on in the midst of our life. Could it be that the chaos that we're experiencing would actually cause us not to look at our own ways and what we can do to fix the situation, but look to God? Could it be that it's in the midst of our problem that we will go to prayer? I wonder in this picture of David as he's crying out to God, how many of us, in the midst of our pressure and our problems and our pain, how many of us get on our face and actually just cry before the Lord? Or do we just kind of throw up these popcorn prayers here and there, but when was the last time that we just weeped before the Lord? I'm not talking like, you know, one little tear. I'm talking... You know, like the, the, the weeping before the Lord. Because some of the problems that we're experiencing, some of the problems that we're seeing in this life, we should be crying over our children. We should be crying over our culture, over those who are lost, who are far from Jesus. Like, that should cause us to want to weep before him. Number, number two... Ingredients of effective prayers is when there's passion. 
Sometimes we need to sprinkle a little passion into our prayer. Sometimes it's the very thing that we just need to add. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition, again with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. I want to pray with passion. One of the things that I set out to do at the beginning of this year, it's not a New Year's resolution, it's just a goal. That way, if it doesn't happen, I don't feel bad about myself. But that it's a, one of the goals that I have for this year is I want to take just one step out of my comfort zone. I think, I think for all of us, there's something that takes place when we step out of our comfort zone. If you've been coming to church for a very long time, and I know many of you have, that it gets really easy for us to just get comfortable in the way things always are. And rarely do we ever step out of our comfort zone and experience God. We had this yesterday, and we talk about our prayer time yesterday quite a bit. Uh, yesterday, we talked a lot about thanksgiving and praise. The difference between uh, thanksgiving and praise is this. Thanksgiving is used to express appreciation for a personal benefit. When God does something in your life, we recognize what God has done for us, and when we thank him. Praise is used to describe who God is, his excellency. It comes from beholding greatness, which applies both to God's person and his deeds, the things that he accomplishes and does in this life. And so we talked a lot about thanksgiving and praise yesterday. And then we, right over here, we were, there was, none of these chairs were here, but we were in a big circle right there. And I just said, why don't we just, just as I did earlier, why don't we just take a second and speak thanksgiving and praise out? And I knew for some in that group that was uncomfortable. Honestly, for me, it's a little bit uncomfortable because, you, you know, it's like prayer is such a private thing and you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to sound dumb or, or whatever. And the reality is, is there's something powerful that takes place when our vocal cords speak the words instead of just internalizing it. And so I wonder this morning, you know this is common. I already told you we we're going to do some things today. Uh, and, uh, and I'm watching. I'm, I got people at the doors. So uh, we have a great ushers and greeters team this morning. They're going to know. Listen, this is something that we should want to step out of our comfort zone into because when we do, we meet God in those moments. We meet God in them. It's not that God wants us to be uncomfortable, but certainly he wants us to speak his praises, to speak gratitude towards him. And so right where you, I'm not even going to have you stand, I'll just make you sit. But I want us to be able to think of something that you can be thankful for, something that you can praise God for in your life. And would you just speak it? Would you just say the words? And you're like, ah, I don't know. That seems really hard, but here, listen, I, 
I know you guys can talk. I know it. I see it out in the Welcome Center all the time. I know you can communicate. So could you just speak words of thankfulness and gratitude and praise God for what he's doing? You know what? I'm not going to have you sit. Just stand. Let's just do this. We're going to be up. We're going to be like the Catholic Church today. We're going to be up, down, up, down. I'm going to remind you why you're here this morning. Can we just do that right now? We're just right where we're at. Can we just speak words of thankfulness? God, we thank you for your provision in our life. Louder, a little bit louder than that. I know you're like, you can't interrupt me. Yes, I can. Let's just a little bit louder. Thank God for his provision and his blessing. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. I think that there's probably more that you're thankful for. I think there's more that you can give him praise for. So we're just going to camp here. This is, I know you're uncomfortable. And so I'm, I'm forcing us out of our comfort zone a little bit. Keep thanking him. Keep praising him for what he's done. God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son on the cross for us. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we have a church who loves one another, who knows how to laugh, who, who enjoys moments of laughter and joy. God, I thank you that we have a generous church who, who looks outside of these four walls to be a, a generous people to all. All right, you can be seated. I never... I never want to be, uh, listen, if, if, if you're visiting with us, then and you're, like, you're like, this guy is crazy. Um, but I just learned that that's what Texas means, is crazy. Um, I learned it uh, Friday night at our, what, what is it? It's a Norwegian saying, slang for Texas is crazy. Um, apparently, they're more reserved than us. Um, no, listen, I never want to be a guy that manipulates any sort of situation, but I recognize that if we are ever going to step out of our comfort zone, it doesn't happen unintentionally. It requires some intentionality. It requires us to do something that, that we're not comfortable with. That's the whole point. All right, let's move on. Number three, with persistence. With persistence. The word fervent is a sense of persistency that takes place. If you're here this morning and you have been writing down on your bulletin the thing that you're praying for in these 29 days of prayer, and you're like, you know what? This, this has not happened yet. Can I just encourage you to be persistent in your prayer? I want to tell you a story uh, about the persistence of prayer. Uh, my sister Amber got married a little bit later in life, and, and she had her uh, first child, McAllister, 
uh, when she was 40, 40, 41, I think. And, uh, and so uh, McAllister was this uh, amazing, cute kid, uh, obnoxiously cute, to be honest with you. And, uh, and so she knew she was getting older in age, and so she wanted to have another child. Uh, so McAllister had a sibling, and, and so th- through a season of time of trying to have another child, it came to their um, realization that they probably were not going to have any more kids. And so they decided to adopt. And so they uh, raised all of the funds that are necessary. Adoption's very expensive. And they raised all the funds to do that and uh, went through an adoption agency. And, uh, and from the point at which they, they signed up for this, there was a ton of time that went by, like a year. And then finally their church was doing a, uh, a series on prayer. And so she wrote out, uh, the the pastor had them write out cards. In fact, I have a picture of her card. It says, this year I'm asking God to grow our family with another child. And so the church began to pray for these things and pray. And and my parents continue on the card. They would fill out the card and say, we're praying that God would would provide a child for our our daughter and son-in-law to adopt. And and so we, as, a, as a church, we've been praying for this. And time went on, and it went on, and it went on, and over another whole year, nothing. The pastor actually came back one Sunday and he said, I, I want all of you who filled out a card that God would do something in your life this year, uh, how, many of that, how many of you would say that's taken place, that God answered that in your life? And all these people's hands went up and people were giving testimony, but not my sister. My sister was disappointed and frustrated with God. And so she, she goes home and she's like, God, I don't understand this. You know the desires of our heart. You say that you'll give us the desires of our heart. You know that we want another child. We're willing to adopt. We're willing to to do one of the greatest sacrifices next to fostering children that aren't your own is to adopt someone. And she's like, I just don't understand. And 10 days later, or or excuse me, that night she heard God say, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, keep on praying. And so she's like, okay, God, we'll keep praying. 10 days later, she gets a phone call from the adoption agency that they have, they have a boy that was going to be up for adoption. His mom was, uh, had a long string of problems, and they wanted to know if they would be considered to be one of the families. Not that they would take the baby, but that they would be one of the families to take the baby and, or be in consideration. And she said, yes, of course. And so then the, the mom got to choose among three different families, but the mom wanted her baby to go to a family that had a son. And so uh, this last February, or I mean at the beginning of this month, February, uh, the, the adoption process was finalized. We have a picture of that uh, that took place. And so that's McAllister. Yeah, so, so here's, here's, the, here's the cool thing about this story is that God doesn't just want to answer your prayers, he wants to over-answer 
you. He wants to over-bless you. And you can say, well, that seems like a pretty big over-blessing right there. No, here's the, here's the interesting thing is, uh, you know, my sister and brother-in-law have a horrible choice of names uh, because his name's McAllister and his name's Wellington. They sound like trust fund babies, but, <laughs> and they don't have any trust funds, I assure you of that. But I want you to see McAllister and Wellington when uh, they were similar when they are similar in ages. So show the next picture. Do those guys not look like brothers? Right, they're brothers from other mothers, right? And yet, God over blessed them not just with the child, but with the child that is already looks like a part of the family. Don't stop praying. Keep on praying. Number four, and, uh, and guys, I'm switching these points, so I apologize. So you can go to point five, but it's going to be point four for me. Focus on the person of Jesus Christ, that there's no other name, that with the authority and the power of the name of Jesus, John 14, 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We pray in the name of Jesus, be healed. We pray in the name of Jesus, chains fall. We pray in the name of Jesus, rescue us. In the name of Jesus, what a beautiful name it is. It's in the name of Jesus. We don't pray to the gods. We don't pray to the wind. We don't pray to the cosmos. We don't pray to, to, to anything other than the name of Jesus. That it's at the name of Jesus we get to come to our Father in prayer. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross that we get to be here this morning. It's what Jesus did on the cross that brings salvation and redemption and grace in our lives. It's because of what Jesus on the cross that we get to come to our Heavenly Father through the name of Jesus. And then number five, it's in partnership with others. That it's so important that we agree together. That we can't do this just alone. Can you pray by yourself? Of course. Scripture talks a lot about interceding in your prayer closet. But the reality is is that when we pray, we ought to be praying together and agreeing together. Matthew 18, 19 says, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Yesterday we were, as we were praying and and talking about the things that we were being thankful for, um, Jeff Cantor was there, who's a part of our church, and he was sharing that he's coming up on his four-year anniversary of when he surrendered his life to Jesus. And his wife Beverly was there, and, and I didn't ask Beverly for permission, but I did ask Jeff, so if you have a problem, Beverly, take it up with your husband. But um, I asked Beverly, or Beverly shared with us that, that there were a group of people from Lifehouse praying for Jeff before Jeff ever knew about Lifehouse or had ever walked foot into this, this place. And that people were praying that, that someone who was far from Jesus would come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And here he is, four years later, he comes every Saturday morning, almost every Saturday morning, except when he's, he's had some heart surgeries in the last year and stuff, but he's there when he's healthy, praying for you. And yet four years ago, he didn't have any relationship with Jesus, except for the fact that his wife got together with other people and prayed. Maybe, maybe that speaks to some of you. Maybe you have a spouse who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I just encourage you to pray? Don't try to fix people, change people, make people something they're not. Could I just implore you to pray? To pray. We're going to receive communion this morning. And when we do, I'm going to encourage you to pray together. Don't pray by yourself. If you came here by yourself, can I encourage you to pray with somebody else? Don't, don't leave here having prayed alone. That's, that's not the goal of this. It's to pray together. For those of you who come on a regular basis, if you look around the room and you see somebody by themselves, I don't think I need to tell you that you should find someone to pray with. Let's pray. Let's pray.